Hello. <laughs> Welcome. This is the Freightonomics podcast. And I know, I know what you're probably thinking. We usually have two people here. We have the econ guy, we have the freight guy, right? Where is the freight guy? Zach. Well, don't worry. Zach is fine. He's okay. He's doing well. He's out in Colorado skiing. So today you're going to have me. It's macro edition, the macro edition of Freightonomics. And today we have a full show. We are going to be taking a little bit of a departure from our typical Freightonomics series that we had going on, where we're going over the different components, slowly building up to introductions to the freight industry. But now we're doing something a little bit different, right? So we're going to do, I'm off the reins here. I'm, I'm off the rails, so to speak. It's econ time. And so what we're going to do is go over a slowing economy, right? So it's no secret by now. Everyone understands that 2019 was a slower year. And that was for the general macroeconomy, but also for the freight industry. And the freight industry is a lot different from the overall economy. And we all know this. And so the thing that we're going to focus on today is how to navigate in these slower economies, how to really be uh, uh, profitable, how to optimize your gains in slower freight economies, uh, and, and really how to prosper and how to really be able to uh, accelerate when the time is right and how to make moves and how to pivot correctly. And so quick backdrop. So before we bring in our first guest, because we're going to have a panel of guests today. And so quick backdrop, overall macroeconomy throughout 2018 was robust with especially a lot of manufacturing uh, production going online. We saw a lot of consumer activity. 2019, vastly different, a lot less manufacturing. Consumers are still strong, but not as strong as in 2018. And so there are a lot of uh, components that really kind of factor into all that. And first, my first guest, Luke Velasca. You've probably seen him on Freightonomics. I'm sorry, Freightwaves Now with Sonar. Hello, hello. Luke, an honor to have you here today. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> a man of many talents, right? Well, I'm still trying to find one, but thank I you. mean, you have you have a <laughs> lot to choose from. So, Luke, you are a, a very versatile member here at Freight Waves. As I mentioned, you uh, present often on Freight Waves. Now, you are a broker in your former life. Uh, uh, yes, yes. And you also have uh, is it with Sonar? With Sonar. With Sonar host. That's right. Which is coming on live tonight at exactly. 7 p.m. So 7 p.m. Tune in. Freight Waves TV. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, give us a little bit of a background about yourself. and Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, first off, glad to be here. Um, this is my first time in the booth, actually. Well, welcome. Thank you. It feels, it feels great. A lot of power, I feel like, <laughs> here. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll try, to, try to live up to the expectations. No, I... I came from the brokerage world before I was here at, at Freight Waves, and uh, mainly I'm... I'm Domestic truckload over the road freight uh, yeah. between U.S. and did a, did a, mainly just here in the U.S. and Canada is what I did. A lot of long haul freight. About 90% of everything I moved was spot freight, which gotcha. is a little bit different. Uh, typically, you figure about 75%, 75 to 80% of the trucking economy is contracted, and then the other 20, 25% is um is spot freight yeah um so I, I was heavy on the spot freight, but anyway that's what i did built up a good book of business it was fun and then freightways came along just decided i'd, I'd rather be on this side of the uh, freight industry yeah I, I love it I, I love the data side of things and 
Um, now I'm selling sonar to folks and running a show, which is just yeah. mind boggling. A lot, right? A lot. Yeah. No one would have thought like <laughs> no, two, a year ago, maybe five months ago, you know, it's just a lot has happened over the last few months. And um, Freight Waves is just a lot in general in this it building. Is. But as you mentioned, so you're, you're selling sonar, you're involved, you're, you're also analyzing a lot of the trends. Yeah. And so you get to see a lot of both aspects of the analysis and then also in the trenches from clients that are, are really living this, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So, so there's, I mean, coming from the brokerage world, I mean, I, you're able to kind of play both sides of it. So obviously you're in the brokerage space, but you, you worked a lot with carriers as well as shippers. So you, you almost kind of, you really see every piece of the puzzle, or yeah. as, at least from the domestic truckload side. And, and then talking to those customers. Really, with with sonar, there's so many different things you can do, but ultimately, it just comes down to everybody's using it just kind of based on how the freight economy is is is, is trending, right? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, there's, um, so you know, I mean, it's no surprise that freight rates are down right now. So folks are trying to find ways that they can find areas of growth, areas where rates are increasing, or areas where there's more volume or market share that they can potentially grab or buy. So. Um, yeah, I mean, you talk to folks like that, you try to figure out what areas they're struggling with, what areas they're succeeding in, and, um, you just pick up the pieces along the way and find areas uh, for them to succeed. Yeah. And so one of the things you mentioned is the freight economy. Yeah. Could you give us a a broad overview of what is the current condition of the freight economy? Yeah. So I think as a whole, I think sentiment is actually a lot, a lot lower than probably the the freight economy actually is. Yeah. So. What's interesting is, and I was actually looking at this as of this morning, so it's a really good question. There's, we were looking at the year-over-year changes for uh, freight volume levels, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially just what is the overall volume in freight broken up between drive and reefer? Those are the two most common modes of transportation. Um, between those two, I think they move close to 85% of all over-the-road truckload freight. So interestingly you saw a lot of truckload carriers go out of business last year it was close to 900 which is a lot right so far this year there's actually more volume there's a two percent increase in drive in volume from this time last year and an eight percent increase in reefer volume from this time last year so it's a little odd but rates on the other hand are significantly suppressed gotcha so you're kind of in this odd space right now where there's a lot of loads to go around more than there actually have been in the past yeah but they're not paying that well. So it may have to do with a lot of capacity hitting the market, a lot of things. But but folks are having to deal with this, both carriers and brokers. Yeah, yeah. So, And that was one of the things we expected, right? Going into 2020, we expected a slower start. Yeah. Um, I, I put a piece, Seamus plug. I wrote an economic piece at the end of December, slow start, strong finish. Yeah. And so we saw some slower activity at the end of 2019, going into 2020. So we expected a little bit of a slower start. And as you mentioned, rates are very still suppressed, but we're starting to see some climbs and volumes. Um, But there is, I think, a lot building up some catalyst, so to speak, in the second half of the year. No, I I agree. So there's a couple of things there. Um, Hard to pinpoint the silver silver bullet, but one, one interesting caveat is truck orders are not quite being purchased at the replacement rate so that would indicate that there is a potential for capacity a paradigm shift in capacity to where capacity may start to tighten which in theory would drive rates up yeah um which would be a good sign for for well i guess everybody but shippers yeah 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 (laughs) 
<laughs> they, they obviously like to push those down. So, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things there. Obviously, you have a lot of truck exits uh, last year that could also help tighten capacity a little bit, which is very unfortunate. You don't want that to be the case. You know, there's, there's a lot of jobs lost there. But, um, yeah, I think I think you'll see a lot of those things come into play. Yeah. Um, especially as the market uh, continues to shift. And we'll see what happens with volume levels, too. If volume levels continue to rise and capacity kind of goes in the other direction, you may start to see some upward pressure. Kind of like you said, second half this year, it takes a, it takes a minute for things to for things to evolve in trucking. It doesn't. It's not an overnight overnight shift. Yeah, yeah. Volume levels have to be higher than capacity for a while for I think everyone to catch on. Got you. And so that and I think soon we're gonna have uh, Donnie Gilbert, the the legendary, the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the lovely, the what, what was the other adjective? What was that the one? Uh, There's so many. The delightful, the delightful. Donnie Gilbert yes. is going to be joining us soon. Um, he has a, a lot of experience yeah. at, and in the in the trenches as a broker as well, um, operating during uh, some of these down times. But so, what are some of the I guess points that you're able to really kind of help with your clients on? on being able to pinpoint and opportunities during these downward times. I'd say a perfect opportunity is this. Listen, you can't change the fact that rates are down. Rates are down. Sure, there are some areas where there are better opportunities relative to the rest of the market, yeah. but the reality is rates are down. So you have, as and with brokers, like you, carriers got suppressed all of 2019, and essentially they've been suppressed for so long, they're pushing back on brokers. So brokers are being pushed down from shippers and up from carriers, squeezing their margins, which we're seeing. Right. Right. I mean, C.H. Robinson is a big, perfect case. Their margins were actually lower this year. Yeah. Or excuse me, last quarter. So that's happening across the board. What you can do, though, is since volume levels are actually a little bit higher, but rates are continuously being suppressed, we'll see if they find a bottom here. It looks like they might be, but only time will tell us. It's a great opportunity to buy market share. Gotcha. And that's what we're telling folks to do. Buy market share now. There's more volume out there. Yes, rates are down, but eventually the pendulum will swing. It's a cyclical market yeah. or industry like we know. And you'll have that volume and the rates will catch back up and you'll be able to profit from that. So that's what we're telling folks to do now. Gotcha. Yeah, and I mean, that's a huge part, right, is yeah. uh, is capturing market share. Mm -hmm. Because when we're seeing that people are operating in these downward times, it's like, when is the right time to move? And a lot of times, when I think when we saw in 2019, people were moving at the wrong time. And so in 2018, yeah. everyone was just growing so robust, and then they started ramping up. And so they thought that ramp up was going to go into 2019, but it was already too late. So just as you mentioned, now is the time to be capturing market share. Now was the time to really start expanding. So when uh, activity does pick up, you're well positioned. Absolutely. 100%. I couldn't have said any better myself. Excellent. Excellent. That's why you're the uh, head economist and I'm just I'm the just, dummy on the other side. No, of I, I just do econ <laughs> from time to time and you're the man of many talents. <laughs> but okay, so I think we're going to have Donnie Gilbert joining us here. Awesome. I, I get a... Am I getting kicked out? I know you're not see. getting kicked out, but I think Donnie Gilbert um is is with us here somewhere soon donnie are you are you watching the live stream where are you he he's too busy being successful is what it is well i know but i he's the lovely donnie I gilbert I, he's is here. He here he's is coming he here? all right come on in get in here donnie oh my goodness morning donnie Afternoon. gilbert come on you can't hear it. Oh, nice music playing. <laughs> you're welcome. Oh, no, you're here. <laughs> are we live? Don oh, we're live. We are live. We're live. And Donnie, one of the things that I, I was I was mentioning was that you are a man 
that is known by many things. The lovely Dinah Gilbert, the delightful Dinah Gilbert. The That's all you. <laughs> you did all this to me. But, but what, what, what Luke and I were talking about here is the comparison of um, how to operate, or I should say how to operate in different uh, markets in the freight economy. And so you've seen up times. You've seen down times on the broker side of things. Yes. And so I'm curious to, to just kind of get your feedback on how should a broker operate? How should a brokerage operate during a downtime right now? You better get on the phone. All right. That's for sure. So on the phone. Um, it, it all depends on during the market conditions. Do you need the truck or does the truck need you? Yeah. And right now, you know, a broker operates both as a shipper uh, when they're selling the load to a truck yeah. and of course, like a carrier when they're trying to get the loads from the shippers. So right now acting as a carrier, they need to get those loads from the shippers and the shippers, since there's an abundance of capacity, they're letting trucks call in because when those trucks are calling in, yeah. it's a lot easier to push those rates down. So number one, you have to know the market conditions of where you're picking up and where you're going yeah. because you got to price this right. Margins are very narrow and they're very tight. There's no room for error. And uh, it's basically a um, learn-by-mistake type market. Um, so they need to acquire the freight, and that's the very first thing. And that's where you have to get on the phone yeah. every morning first thing with your uh, current shippers yeah. and be begging them for freight yeah. and be checking with them throughout the day. Plus, you need to be exploring the other markets. You have to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah and operate in markets that you've never uh, explored before. Okay. And again, that might be learned by mistake again. <clears throat> so, you know, I did this many different um, uh, cycles during the last 15 years. Yeah. And um, one thing that's different now versus the past 15 years is our product like Sonar. Yeah. It's been a, a guessing game as to what directions rates are going, how the markets are doing in different markets. And now you can actually look and see which direction rates are going in the markets, which can actually make it a little bit easier, but it's still difficult. But at least I know which direction the markets are going. <clears throat> gotcha. And one of the things you mentioned is margins. Yes. That's going to be the name of the game in this in a down market, right? Well, it's always the name of the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't make but, margins, you're yeah, not going to be open. Yeah. But uh, margins are very tight. Gotcha. So uh, what's really important, it's, it's difficult to operate in a flat market. Mm -hmm. because you have carriers trying to push their rates up and you have shippers trying to push their rates down right. and they just keep squeezing, squeezing because they're not really going either direction. And it's that margin that gets squeezed out if you're a broker. Yeah. So it, I found it easier to work either in, in, in uh, markets where at least the rate's moving up some, or at least it's moving or down. Gotcha. <clears throat> because a lot of times in this type of market, in order to create your margin, you're going to have to push those trucks down. Yeah. So wise decisions on the loads that you choose, but sometimes you may not have decisions because there's nothing else to book. Gotcha. If a broker is not booking freight, yeah, they can't make any money. You right. have to have freight. Right, right. So that's there's a lot of difficulties right now. So you really have to get aggressive. You really have to get out there. You really have to be a go-getter, get on the phones. And step out of your comfort zone. Gotcha. Wise words, ladies and gentlemen. So one of the things that the other aspect is Luke and I was talking about was times of growth. How, what, what's the shift when we have times of like, we expect there going to be a lot of growth. How do we prep for that? All right. So uh, there, uh, there are exciting times when you start shifting from where we are now um, to 
um, the, these times of growth that you're talking about. Yeah. Now you talk about it on probably more of an economic level, sure. but we actually see these little cycles happen and that's between like first quarter and second quarter, mm-hmm. uh, in markets such as, um, Lakeland, Florida. Yeah. So they're going to be one of the first ones, Miami and Lakeland that start switching over to produce season. And that's the difference of you calling out for freight versus you start seeing the driver start calling in, gotcha. uh, trying to pick up loads and trying to increase. And you, you, you just have a different feel of what's going on when you're making those phone calls. Right. Uh, you'll realize, um, if you're giving those prices and that shipper who's questioned you, talked to you, you've, you've begged him for this price, you've pushed him up, all of a sudden starts accepting that price yeah. a whole lot faster. Yeah, yeah. It's because rates are moving up and you might have just under underpriced your freight. So you'll see stuff like that, you know, and that, that's your first clue is when their response time to your rate is just really quick. And that's because they've called around and now you're cheaper than everybody when gotcha. you were pushing the rates up. And so uh, you'll see a change. You'll see a demeanor in the drivers. You'll see, and of course, the drivers will be getting a lot more excited. They'll yeah. be pushing their rates up. And then you'll see the struggle start hitting the shippers. And you'll, you will you got to pay attention of the, the demeanor of both the drivers, carriers, and your shippers that are on the phone. And then, of course, um, I had the ability to watch not only with the rates that I, were, I was booking trucks with, yeah. but also watch your colleagues where you can pull up similar lanes and start watching their rates as well. And you'll start seeing them start jumping up 50 bucks, 100 bucks. Yeah. And that's how I figured out before Sonar that the market was starting to move. Gotcha. <clears throat> so now I can see it really within 24 hours. And when I start seeing it moving, I'm going to start pushing my shippers up. Now I have the ability to uh, instead of waiting on a rating tool to start show it, well, a rating tool will be probably showing the carrier yeah. who's then repricing me. And that could be 10 days later. Gotcha. Now I have the ability to start pushing my rates up uh, to my shipper 10 days earlier, mm-hmm. which is being more proactive than reactive. Yeah. And that's what's really going to help me out You know, in years like which we hope to see this start probably in August, July, August, yeah. really for fourth quarter. A really big upswing, or not a big upswing, but an upswing in this market that we're currently in. Gotcha. And and that's, so you hit a few really big points is being proactive, not reactive. Yes. Timing is everything. And really being able to pivot at the right time yes. is going to be huge, especially for margins and, and really kind of that trial and error, minimizing some of that trial and error with yeah. that pricing. And because that's where, you know... Um, you want to be able to maximize your ref- revenues and by maximizing your revenues by one, getting the best price from your uh, shippers, but you also want to get the best, the uh, most advantageous price from your carriers. So you can actually work on increasing margins on both ends. Yeah. So if you get a little bit more from your shipper and you're able to control your carrier costs a little bit better and that's, that spreads can really increase when you're able to know the market conditions of not only the market that you're picking up in, but also the market condition that you're delivering to because that's what the carrier is looking at and that's the way they're pricing it. So if you can understand the information they're getting and what they want to do, yeah, that'll make you, uh, that'll put you in the best spot. Beautiful. Beautiful. Love to hear it. Yeah. I mean, I, I would summarize that, but you yeah. worded it perfectly. Um, it's, um, it's a fast paced job Yeah, and uh, it is different every day. Yeah. And yeah. uh, it's exciting. I grew up in the spot market, did it for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, most of my freight, uh, probably uh, around 80% of my freight picked up same day mm-hmm. if I was lucky the next morning. So you really have to be on the spot when you're when you're booking freight in that manner. Gotcha. Um, because, I, you know, 
<clears throat> we all say that we're great and we all made a lot of money here and there. Yeah. But we also all took a lot of losses. Right? <laughs> right. That's right. how we learn. Right. Right. And I have some horrid memories. Um, um, Yuma, Arizona to Denver, Colorado. And I booked two of those mm -hmm. and I lost big money on both. Can I share a number? Huh? Ooh, okay, well, <laughs> a, rate, a, a rating tool. You can give us a range. A rating tool said $2,800. Um, I booked it for almost uh, 39 So I was doing, I mean, I'm looking at a $1,000 margin. I was like, hey, Oh, that's yeah. what you charged the shipper. Yeah, so okay. pick up same day. Um, capacity had, had swapped over in Yuma. Now it was 3 o'clock here on the East Coast, but, you know, they're a few hours behind. Yeah. I booked them for forty four fifty and forty six fifty. Oh, that's, uh, that hurts! Yeah. Thought you were gonna have a nice payday. <laughs> but, but that's the way it is. That's some, the way it is. Some, day, some days you win. Some days the the driver wins. Oh. And that day, now you was a very secluded market, so there's not you can't really pull capacity from anywhere. And I rolled the dice. I thought I was doing well. Uh, the markets had shifted. Of course, a rating tool is seven to ten days old. And I played the game, I, but I opted. I mean, I knew it was going to be tight. I knew it was going to be. I knew it was going to be tough. And uh, yep. I really took a beating that day. And I have never priced it. I'm still trying to seek my revenge on that lane. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Donnie, Luke, thank you guys both so much. I appreciate the insights. I, I believe we're going to shift gears here soon, and uh, I think we have Mr. B. Yep. On tap. He's lined up. Mike Bodendistel. Yes. So, without further wisdom. ado. Ladies and right. gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks for showing up, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> and in the meantime, I have to give a huge shout out to our production team. Um, Jonathan Smith running the show right now. We have a lot of amazing people. Cody Mathis, you know. Oh, Mr. B. Good to see you. Mike Bond, good to see you. Welcome yeah. to the to the Freightonomics podcast. You were in one of the first episodes. I think so, yeah. You, so Mike, you are a man of, I've, I work with remarkable people, folks. And so you are one of these remarkable people. You have a, a very interesting background, right? Can yeah. you share with us? Sure. So I was an analyst at Stiefel for uh, many years, um, you know, first working for John Larkin on you know, a wide range of companies that uh, you know, haul freight in, in some manner. Um, the railroads are one specialty of mine. Intermodal companies were another also followed some trucking logistics companies with him and um, then more recently rolled out my own coverage of the, um, the the equipment companies, the companies that manufacture trucks, rail cars, components that go into those things that lease rail cars that are involved with selling trucks. So so, so it's actually touched a, a wide range of, um, you know, companies in uh, you know, transportation and logistics. Perfect. And so rail, intermodal. And equipment, right? Yep, yep. Those are really some of your, I guess, your market expertise, right? We're a group of market experts. Yep. And, that, and so that's, that kind of rolls up your market expertise. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we were chatting with Luke, Donnie was here, was talking about how to operate mm -hmm. in a down economy, how to operate yeah. in a, a down freight economy. And so curious, some words of wisdom from Mr. B himself. Well, I think it depends a little bit on on which uh, companies you're 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 talking about, which sectors. I mean, yeah. the railroads have um, really just been through a year where they had to operate with a lot fewer volumes. I mean, rail traffic in 2019 was down about five percent, both for the carload traffic and the intermodal traffic, and they responded the way they typically do by cutting costs. And in the last year, they were able to cut you know costs for the most part faster than the revenue came down from the lower volumes. So they had margin expansion 
you know, by and large, and most of the stocks performed well, and most of the stocks, you know, outperformed the market. I mean, yeah. Kansas City Southern dramatically outperformed the the market. So um, again, they're still kind of darlings of, of 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 Wall Street. I mean, and and, and some of that is, has been, you know, some of the things they call precision railroading, balancing the networks, you know, streamlining the number of of terminals, you know, consolidating dispatch centers, you know, those type of things. But a lot of it, I think, was just doing, um, you know more with less or in, or in the case of last year with rail traffic doing, being down doing less with with even less yeah, uh, yeah. resources so um that's that's really how the way the, the the railroads have have responded to it um and i think uh you know some of the other companies that i that i follow are, are really trying to get out in front of you know changes in you know demand like the equipment industry for one i mean this is a, a year where the equipment you know industry um you know, levels of production are going to be down you know, uh, rather dramatically for trucking, um, the the Class Eight trucks. There are some that are, are expecting them to be down thirty percent, some some more than that, thirty five percent or so. With trailers, just heard um, you know, from Wabash today, they're expecting their volumes to be down eleven, which is a lot better than the the industry for trailers, which is going to be down more like twenty five percent. So all of those companies are you know struggling with okay, how many you know what what are the right resource levels that I need? What are the right sort of input levels that I need? We we've, we've seen you know staff reductions from a lot of the manual manufacturers over the last several months um you know companies like cummins which makes you know engines and then a number of the the oems as as well so um it's it's really i think trying to get the having the right you know resources in place which goes to a lot of the things that that we do with you know forecasting freight demand and those things got you and so that's that's going to be the key right Mm -hmm. having or allocating the correct amount of resources Mm -hmm. where they need to go and so that's going to be the name of the game doing a down Mm -hmm. economy on this segment so yeah Curious, Mr. Bowdendistel. Bowdendistel? Bowdendistel. Bowdendistel. Yeah. I've been practicing on you're that. You're getting it. You know, I've been one practicing. of these days you'll, you'll have it down. You're, you're, you're I'm going to get it the first later. time. <laughs> one more time. Bowdendistel. That was perfect. All right. I'm going to stop it right there. Okay. Mr. B from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious on your take on the rail side, mm-hmm. your outlook. Well, Really, it, it comes a lot down to, to volume. So I, I think what, one of the interesting things is the, the rails have really demonstrated ability to, uh, you know, like I just said, use use uh, cost very efficiently for the amount of volume they have. Yeah. I think the main question and the reason why these the, the stocks are trading at, at multiples that are really above levels than we've seen in the past is this thought that if, if rail traffic comes back, what's going to happen to margins then? Because they've been improving margins with down volumes yeah. dramatically and you know you have to think i mean it's it's a network business still there's a lot of you know fixed costs involved in that network and some of the volumes that that come back can go back on a train at a very low incremental cost if you're, you have a train that has 80 rail cars and now you have more traffic and now it's 100 rail cars yeah yeah there's not a lot of extra costs in, involved in that a little bit of fuel but 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 not much a little bit of equipment rents but yeah. the crewing costs are the same i mean yeah. most of the the costs are are fixed so a lot of that should come in at a very high incremental margin and i mean it's it's you know could could see greater records from from the the rail industry so i think that's why um the stock valuations are where where they are i think there's a lot of optimism there and and some of the rails are saying well we're past the worst in terms of of volume and going forward you know volume should be should be up now some are saying it should be up if you exclude coal which is going to be a huge drag particularly for the eastern rails this year um, but still, it's it feels a lot better to maybe get into some months where the the volumes are positive on year over year basis, whereas last year it was all sort of red ink and sort of got worse, you know, as the year went along. Yeah, yeah. And so, excellent take. But so, are you 
expecting something different or similar on the intermodal side? Intermodal is more going to be dependent on what happens in uh, in the in the trucking industry. Yeah. So there, there's this this growing sense of optimism that the trucking industry is is going to be strong in the second half of this year because of capacity coming out of the marketplace. Yeah. Maybe that comes to fruition. Maybe it doesn't. So yeah. some of the intermodal companies are saying, well, it's going to be a sort of a year of two halves, where in the first half of the year, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle because there's not going to be enough volume and they're going to have to negotiate intermodal contracts that are lower than they were in the previous year, which just doesn't feel good. Uh, meanwhile, they're still contending with you know rail uh, purchase uh, transportation costs that are still rising, so their margins get squeezed. So yeah. a lot of the companies like, like a Hub Group or a JB Hunt, I think, are in a little bit of a difficult situation in the beginning part of this year. It's a question of... If this trucking capacity crunch and the pricing really does come to fruition, it's going to feel really good to be in the intermodal industry later this year yeah. because the, they're, they're priced, they'll, they'll, they'll get pricing, um, the, the volume will be there as well. It'll be sort of an outlet for um, some volume that maybe there's a shortage of trucking capacity for, particularly in the, in the longer haul lanes. So, um, you know, then that could lead to you know, stronger contract pricing, you know, next year at, at, at this time. So um, I think there's, you know, that one's maybe a little bit more uncertainty because yeah. who knows if that's at this point, if it's really going to come to fruition, sometimes if everyone expects the trucking you know industry to, to tighten, maybe that leaves some of the, the capacity, you know, hang on for a little bit longer because they are, they're expecting it too. And they yeah. want a piece of that action. Right. And so that uncertainty, does that also extend into the equipment side of things? I, th I think it does. I, I think on the equipment side of things, I mean, the, the equipment tends to follow what is happening in the in the trucking industry, yeah. particularly, you know, spot rates. I think there's little question that equipment production will be down in 2020, um, you know, and, and a lot of that's just after, you know, record uh, or close to record levels in 2018, 2019. And then there were also strong production in, in 14 and 15. So really for the last six years have been very strong from an equipment standpoint. So there's there's enough equipment. Um, and with, with the equipment, the main question, I think, is when you think uh, to later this year, when we get into you know October, November, is there going to be a surge in orders mm. or is there not going to be? I mean, I think you can make the case a little bit you know, either way. And I think a lot of that is going to de depend on whether or not we see uh, the, the trucking market start to improve. But either way, for the equipment companies this year, 2020 is going to feel like a little bit of a slog yeah. because it's just it's, it's just not fun when your revenue is down 30% or something like right, that. Yeah. Right, right. And, and so one of the things that you just did um, throughout your synopsis, brilliant mm -hmm. synopsis, by the way. Thank, Thank you, you, Mr. B. It's always, yeah. I always feel enlightened when I hear, <laughs> for, hear your takes. You gave us an awesome breakdown of actual results. And mm -hmm. so... Previously, we just had, you know, Luke and Donnie talking about their past experiences and, and, and some anecdotal mm -hmm. stories. And so you're giving us some of the real world. And I, so I think Seth Holm is out here ready to go with us. Uh, Seth, is Seth here? Seth, Seth, you, you going to join us? <laughs> I don't see him. So Seth Holm, I think, is oh, there here. He is. There he is. And he's going to join us. And oh, my goodness. This is a lot of intelligence that I'm sitting next to here. Seth, another brilliant man here at Freight Waves. So we have a former buy sider and a former sell sider. Yeah, in the that's same, right. In the same room. So Seth, I I don't know if you need an introduction because I, your name is all over the place, right? You you're really popular with the white papers. Uh, you really head up a lot of our research stuff. You have an excellent background. Uh, you, also a former hedge trader. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, so like Mike said, I was on the buy side. So I worked uh, at a hedge fund for about 10 years. I'm really a stock guy. Yeah. Um, it, funny enough, I did consumer and telecom media and uh, internet and technology stocks. Yeah. Um, so I knew a lot about that space. Um, got to freight waves uh, a little under a year ago now. So now I'm doing transportation. And um, I am part of the uh, Freight Intel Group with yeah. Kevin Hill and Andrew Cox. Yeah. And, uh, that is actually now part of Passport Research, yeah. which, uh, you know, we have a new offering for and we're putting out stuff all the time. Um, and so, you know, recently I put out three or four papers. Um, I did one on the XPO spinoff, which mm -hmm. I know we're going to talk about. Um, I did one on detention time and trucking. Uh, I just did one on uh, that will be coming out this week on freight brokers and how yeah. they performed in the in the current fourth quarter earnings and all that kind of stuff. So really looking at transportation, you mentioned transportation overall, not just one particular component, but really analyzing, doing that deep, deep dive and, and giving us actionable or really insights that you can't really find anywhere else. That's right. I mean, I, I do do all things, but, um, you know, like Mike knows so much more than I'll ever know about intermodal. I'm my strong suit. Like a lot of people at Freightways is mm. probably trucking. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, we do do, um, you know, lots of other stuff as well. Right. And so one of the things we're, we're talking about, actual real-world instances of companies performing in a down market. And right. And so one of the companies you just mentioned, XPO. Yep. So I kind of jotted down some notes. Uh, mm -hmm. So you asked me, how can you perform better in a down market? And yes. I, I thought of a few ways uh, from listening and reading earnings notes and uh, listening to the calls a little bit. Um, I mean, there's a couple of common themes in truckload. Uh, I think you can have more contract revenue, mm -hmm. um, and your, as a percentage of your base, I was just looking in the fourth quarter on a year over year basis, contract rates were down about 3.7%, yeah. whereas spot rates were down like 13. So if you're playing the spot market, uh, if you have greater exposure to that, you're going to have greater revenue declines. Uh, the other thing you can do, another common theme that I saw from a lot of the truckload guys is, um, the more dedicated exposure, the yeah. better. So dedicate, uh, that's been a very common theme. Dedicated um, uh, is generally up year on year um, as opposed to pretty badly down for the other segments. Um, although I did read a piece from Todd Maiden uh, that he put out from the Stiefel conference yesterday where uh, the Werner CEO commented that because dedicated's been so good that there's a lot of people rushing in and, and, and putting pressure on those bid prices. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's another way, and then the two other other ways I sort of came up with are um, let's see if I can remember them. Uh, oh, so Zach Strickland wrote a, uh, the chart of the week. Yeah. The, um, so the wholesale rack prices have been coming down aggressively, like forty cents in the last week, whereas those retail gas prices are sticky high, and so uh, those net fuel surcharges are going up. Mm -hmm. um, so like wholesale rack prices, I think we're, at, we're down 13%, whereas the retail prices were steady. So that's 20% of a carrier's uh, revenue that they spend on fuel. So that's another way. The other way you can you can do is you can reduce headcount, right? Yeah. Um, so those are the really obvious ways to me. And now if you want to get into XPO a little bit, um, I can talk about um, yeah. some takeaways there as well. One thing that just comes to mind, you bring up Werner, um, you know, for them specifically, they have a lot of customers that I would call defensive in nature. They do a lot with the dollar stores, Dollar General, Family yeah. Dollar. And I think those companies, uh, you know, do well when the economy slows. Yeah. Um, I think the CEO commented again, he said like 55% of their revenue comes from the, con directly from the consumer, U.S. consumer. Yeah. So like you mentioned that, that's a really good spot to be certainly relative to someone who has their freight volumes tied to manufacturing or, you know, anything like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So you want to get into XPO a little yeah, bit? Yeah, let's get into XPO. Okay, so XPO is kind of, um, we, we put out, if you're a uh, passport research, um, about a month or two ago, I put out a report kind of um, with JP and Kevin and, and others analyzing, you know, so they made a big announcement. Um, they're going to, they had long been this roll up. They'd made like 17 acquisitions yeah. uh, since they went public in 2011. They've got Brad Jacobs as their CEO. He owns a big chunk of the stock and it's been this very successful roll up story. Yeah. And now they made an announcement that they're going to basically everything other than LTL um, and they're sort of a transportation conglomerate now yeah, yeah. is technically up for sale. Um, and so um, a couple things there um, it, just in the most recent quarter, first things first, they got a new CFO. Um, and this guy came from, um, I've already forgotten his name. I listened to the call yesterday. I think it's Weissner is his last name, but, um, he came from Wyndham hotels and resorts and prior to that Avis. And so this guy's like a, uh, asset sale and spinoff specialist. Mm -hmm. So that kind of shows you, you know, that they're making moves to go ahead and do this. Um, the other thing, the main takeaways I saw from XPO in the quarter, um, looking at LTL, it's, it becomes sort of apparent why they want that to be the remaining business. Uh, LTL performed really well for them. I want to say, um, so it was the former Conway. Is that right? Um, I think revenues were, um, I don't remember exactly what they were off the top of my head, but really strong relative to, uh, the rest of the business and, and, and relative to the other LTL players. And the other thing was their, um, their OR and LTL was down like 500 basis points year over year to like 83 some odd percent. Um, now some of that was an asset sale in there, but even then, they improved their OR by 150 basis points um, year over year in a really sort of tough market for yeah. trucking. And the other the other main takeaway I had was, um, so brokerage, um, so they, I, I did this whole piece, like I said, I, I did a deep dive looking at everybody's results in brokerage, and they grew their truckload volumes in brokerage by 1%, which was really good relative to the other uh, publicly traded guys. And it would have been 19% had it not been for that Amazon customer loss. Gotcha. Um, and the other really impressive thing they did was they did that. They grew truckload brokerage volumes 1% on a 20% reduction in headcount. So to me, that was pretty impressive. So, yeah. so is that becoming more automated? Is, is that how they're doing that? Or do uh, yeah. they just kept their better people? I, I think so. I think they've, uh, they've made heavy investments in technology, mm-hmm. um, and I think some of that's beginning to bear fruit. But then, you know, they also grew their earnings per share like 55%. Because they bought back in twenty five percent of the stock over the past year, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so, I'm curious how. So one of the things you mentioned, their OR, yeah, that was really one of the the big changes or things that really kind of stuck out from them and some of the other uh, companies, correct? Yeah, exactly. So, so I think that's going to be a huge component. I think definitely as we move through the first half of 2020, do you think that's also going to be like a, a huge impact on the second half of the year? Um. So my overall outlook is like, um, so just looking at truckload, um, right now you've got positive volumes. Um, they were up four and a half percent OTV, uh, outbound tender volumes were up four and a half percent. They've been basically sustainably positive since, uh, last July. So the volume picture, although it's off to a weak start on very easy comparisons this year, it's like flattish for the yeah. last couple of weeks. But, uh, that being said, I, I would expect volumes to be uh, flat to modestly positive gotcha. uh, this year. Where, where the, the brunt of the revenue declines for the truckload guys has been coming through rates, both spot and contract rates. I think the outlook, 
and and a lot of that is through because of the excess capacity in the market which you know with the five percent um tender rejections um really low so i think as the year goes on and this isn't a unique opinion for me a lot of the trucking uh executives mm -hmm. and other people within freight waves i think share this view uh that the outlook for both spot and contract rates um is sort of sequentially as you progress throughout the year should improve uh driven by as you kind of work down that excess capacity you've got you know the eld stuff you've got the drug and alcohol uh testing yep. you've got the bad truck orders and all that kind of stuff yeah um so as far as the ors i think what what you can read into the or i think if you're an investor in these companies you can sort of take comfort in the fact like a lower or gets you a higher multiple yeah all right because people your earnings don't go down as bad in a bad market so i think old dominion who's like the blue chip and ltl if you take apart xpo on a sum of the part basis and i won't get to this is too complicated but uh old dominion trades at like 15 times forward ebitda mm -hmm. um, whereas the implied value for xpo's ltl is more like eight nine ten times something like that mm -hmm. um so i think there's a lot of headway uh, headroom excuse me for expansion in that multiple and anytime you look like night swift uh the old knight had a really really low or and that always got them a premium multiple but uh you know when i when i sort of take apart the cost picture uh diesel looks pretty good yeah you've got you've still got some wage inflation there um but uh i think the natural lift to uh ors is just going to come from better volumes and better mm -hmm. revenue mm -hmm. gotcha. honestly gotcha yeah seth amazing yeah I i'm just so i'm honored that you showed up here to this podcast, Freightonomics, at the same time with Mr. B. So thank you both so much for, for showing up. I think we're going to have Andrew Cox, someone you know that you work very closely That's with right. here. Um, he's going to hop on in. But thank you both so much for, for joining us. Um, when, and, yeah, we're going to see if we can get Andrew Cox in here. And I think he's going to give us a little bit more insights. Of course. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks. And... Guys, I'm going to have to give you more shout outs because our production team runs deep. We also have Emla Howard, the intern. One of the most talented people I've met next to Cody Harris. But now we have Andrew Cox here. What's up, brother? How are you doing? I am. Uh, I'm lovely. I've got this like very nervous energy. And I don't know. It's not for this or yeah. anything else. I just yeah. like, just very, in general. I'm anxious right now. I'm, yeah. feel, I'm feeling good. Well, I'm, I'm excited you're here. I'm excited to be here. So as I mentioned earlier, I work with some very remarkable people. Andrew, you are definitely one of them. Oh, because don't feed me, you guys. I'm, I'm just saying you're, you're, you're a recent grad, right? You're new to the industry, but you absorbed it so quickly and really become really one of the, the cogs here, one of the key engines to really power a lot of the research. Well, I really appreciate that. I, uh, I think I, I saw you mention it earlier about so many remarkable people around here. It, the freight waves... Uh, Everybody is so smart around here, and there's so much yeah. industry knowledge and so many different ways that you can learn around here. So I've just tried to be a sponge, uh, you know, from, from Dean all the way down to all the market experts. There are a lot of smart people here, so I've just listened and, Dean. and absorbed. Dean is... <laughs> He knows everything about everything. Yeah, you you ask that guy any question, and he's got a, at least a ten minute response to you. Very yeah, in depth, built like exactly how our response. Should yes, be. he's he's brilliant. And it's like sometimes I think I'll catch him on a curveball. I'm like, uh, no way he's gonna know anything. It's an obvious joke, and then he'll come up with an actual legit answer. He knows it. The yeah, guy knows everything. And so, Andrew, one of the big things that I seeking your insights on because usually I have Zach Strickland here. As I mentioned, he's going to be back. Don't worry, he'll be here next week, everyone. All right, he'll he'll be here. He's 
he's skiing in Colorado. Oh, lucky man. I know. And so he'll he'll be back. But one of the things that Zach does for me is he brings me back down because I get so optimistic sometimes. I talk about consumer optimism. I talk about, you know, all the bright spots in the economy. Oh, non-defense capital goods starting to rise up. Business, business activity starting to kind of like peak its head a little bit. And he, and he kind of reels it all in. And so one of my questions, Andrew, yep. is what are some of the headwinds? That we have in in the upcoming year. Let me forewarn that I'm I, I try to be a realist, but yeah. I'm also an optimist. Yeah. So I'm going to do my best to play devil's advocate. Please. Here, and we'll we'll play back and forth. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I you know this this may sound cookie cutter, but I, I truly think there are really only two major headwinds, and that is uh, trade disputes. Even though we've had a little bit of headway uh, in those in in the recent months. Uh, and then global economic slowdown in general. Yeah. Uh, we can start with with whichever one you want. Um, like we can start with trade. Yeah. Let's so. You know, there's been the two trade deals that have gotten done in the last, uh, you know, the last month or two. Uh, the USMCA, which is, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, just a glorified, maybe cover change, putting a hard back on the, uh, on NAFTA, and rather than having it in a soft back, not not much change there. Uh, and then you also have the Phase One trade deal, yeah, which was a bit, which a big step. Uh, we we kind of posed it on our podcast the other day on a Great Quarter Guys whether we ever thought there'd be anything past this, would mm-hmm. ever be a Phase Two, yeah, yeah. Phase One B. Uh, and we came to the conclusion that there probably won't be. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then on top of that, the 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 trade deal itself hasn't. Uh, although it just happened, we'll see what the ramifications are this year. Um, but leading up to it, and since then, we haven't seen the the purchases like we were mm-hmm. expecting to see from China. Uh, we haven't seen the exports going to China in the in the same manner. Twenty nineteen was a horrible year. Uh, I got a couple stats for you here. Um, was a horrible year for. Well, I can remember. Uh, Exports and imports both fell in 2019 from 2018, and then it, they fell from 2018 from 2017. So yeah. it's down two years in a row. Um, I, I just have a I have a big worry about this this trade deal when they say that they're going that China's going to buy four, I think it was 40 billion dollars worth of ag. Yeah. Uh, on a yearly basis. Yeah. That's double anything they've ever done. Uh, and I know China's population is huge, and uh, but it's slowing. Their their growth is slowing. So I I just don't how I don't know how we get to 40 billion in ag purchases. Uh, and in my mind, I think the relationship has just structurally changed between us and China in the last decade uh, or even two decades. And I think now at this point, we have a more difficult time replacing China than China does replacing us. Got you. And and so that's so one of the big parts of this trade deal, right, is those agreed upon purchases, especially for ag. But there are also, some, like I think, some contingencies. Right. So. Things need to be met on their end. They need to see certain economic growth internally or domestically for them before they could commit to some of these purchases. Correct. And so we're, it's not guaranteed. It's almost like the phase one deal was act of good faith. Yeah, so it's, it's almost like a contract rates yeah. in, uh, in trucking. You yeah. know, we, on this date, we set you this rate with yeah. this many trucks. He's like, ah, oh, but we got to that day before and the, the, the environment has changed. Yeah. So we're no longer going to uphold exactly. that thing. So I, I see a similarity there. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. you. And this is, we've talked about this on, on shipper updates, that there's just an ill-timed coronavirus at a time where Chinese growth is already slowing to, you know, 30-year lows last year. It's going to probably creep even slower uh, this year, under 6%. Uh, so they may not even meet those internal thresholds they need to fulfill the ag purchases from the U.S. Um, you know, when the reason I say that I think we're more expendable to them than they are to us, uh, on the Chinese side, when they needed to find a soybean provider, they were easily able to find one in Brazil and yeah. Canada and, and even the EU. Uh, and the EU, again, with pork, um, they produce more pork than we do. So they were able to find suppliers for their ag where we went over our, our 
uh, manufacturers were trying to find replacements for Chinese production, and it's just it, yeah, nobody else is anywhere near their level. Yeah, and I think one of the areas we tried to target was Southeast Asia, right? Right, like Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos. Just the this the sheer size, right, yeah. and trying to replace a, a mammoth like just like China, that's going to be difficult to do, and so. As you mentioned, that kind of really resonates with, with it's going to be hard to kind of try to replace them. Definitely. Lorianne LaRocco uh, yesterday was on our podcast, and she said that we, she, again, spoke about Vietnam as a, as a replacement. People thought that they could be a viable uh, you know, replacement for China. You would need seven or ten Vietnams to replace Chinese production yeah. uh, export um, imports to the U.S. So, <laughs> and, and beyond that, their facilities and their, their people, their labor is just nowhere near at China's level. So yeah. that's one thing. I think yeah. that the, the trade disputes, are they're going to be longstanding. I, even if we do get things sorted out with China, let's say there's a phase two or even forward. Um, I think we're, we're in a, they, we are more expendable to them than they are to us. Yeah. And, and one of the areas I'm really, so there's two economic regions that I'm really interested in. Uh, India, just from a general economic growth. But Mexico, because they're so close, uh, more affordable labor and, and so close to the United States. And so being able to near source, I think, would have, would be a potential opportunity there. And so I'm really interested in seeing how Mexico really kind of comes to its own over these next couple of months or years, so to speak, if things kind of keep going the way they are with China. It's Mexico is a... It's just a mystery to me. They yeah. have everything they need to yeah. be, uh, uh, to be a, a you know a developing powerhouse yeah. you know, above the not quite a tier one economy, but right there at the top of the tier two economies. Yeah. And it just baffles me how they can't get either their government, uh, their government and their monetary policy in order to be able to, to exponentially grow their economy. They have you know they've got a, a strong working labor force. Yeah. Uh, you know, good population growth. Yeah. Healthy people. There's absolutely no reason that they couldn't, and, yeah. and a lot of uh, natural resources to grow with. I exactly. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so that's going to be two nations that I'm going to be watching closely over the next few years. It's going to be India, Mexico. Like you said, it baffles me as well why we're not seeing that that kind of growth on Mexico. But one of the headwinds that we're, we're talking about on the Chinese side, mm-hmm. coronavirus. And so in my, my slow start, strong finish economic outlook available on FreightWaves.com on that one, <laughs> nice, plug. <laughs> nice plug, a little plug. Uh, one of the things I mentioned there was a black swan event. And yeah. so this has without a doubt been oh, yeah. a black swan event. Yeah. And it's just so ill-timed. Like the, it's, it's, you've got good timing on the fact of when it first happened for right. the, the factories were already typically shut down during the Lunar New Year uh, time. But that is a time when all the Chinese go out, they travel to see their families, they eat out, they buy luxury goods, they spend so much money on airlines and hotels. And uh, it's a big uh, time for Chinese uh, tourism and economy. So now that that's been really you know, strangled for the last few weeks and, and it will continue to be strangled. This is a, I think we're going to see Chinese GDP in the very low, I mean, as low as like two, 3% for the first quarter. Yeah. If they report it, but (laughs) (laughs) 11% growth. Exactly. You're fudging. We'll we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) And so real quick summary. One of the things is, is these headwinds are really going to kind of impede growth potentially on the manufacturing front. Um, that phase one deal, we're really hoping to see something happening with agriculture um, because the farmers had a horrific year Correct. in yeah. 2019. I th- I've read some crazy stats about the amount of money that they've had to earn in subsidies versus what they've earned you know, selling crops. And yeah. It's, uh, it's scary. Yeah. And so a few of the headwinds to, to really monitor coming up here in uh, 2020. And, and I don't know if you have a few moments here. 
I can hang around. Yeah. yeah? Well, I think we're going to have Marianne joining us here shortly. Cool. Uh, so, I see her there. See if I is she coming on in? There she is. Is Marianne around? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mary Ann. I love this tune, by the way. It's amazing, I, I right? Today. This is nice. Hey, Mary-Ann. how's it going? We're great. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for Hang joining us. There. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Let's see what I can do here. So, Mary Ann. Yeah. You really, you kind of keep Zach and I, I in line. It's a really hard job. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Zach and I in line. It's, it's, it's not easy, but I do I do what I can. Yeah, and I'm, I'm very appreciative whole. of it. <laughs> <laughs> Very appreciative of it. Um, for for those of you that are familiar with our monthly sonar webinars but with Zach Strickland and myself, Marianne, you're always there with us, usually the introductory voice and yeah. the, the closing voice. And you set that all up. Yeah. And you run essentially, I'll let you tell us. Yeah. So I essentially head our media operations here at Freight Waves. Um, anything that we partner with companies to do. So sponsored media, um, whether it's webinars, editorial, infographics, podcasts. Yeah. Um, I basically oversee execution and fulfillment of all of those things. So Right. Yeah. And so with that, one of the things that we've been talking about throughout the entire podcast is we had Luke Donnie in here talking about how to grow in a slowing economy or freight economy on the broker side. We had Mike Bowden Distel, Mr. B, yeah. himself, um, giving his insights on the rail and the modal and equipment side of things, on how to operate what, on, on downsides, things to kind of keep your eye on. We even had Seth Holm make an appearance, giving us real-world examples. We have Andrew Cox telling us about potential headwinds. And so I'm really curious. So what, you head up operations as well. You've seen downtimes. I'm curious, what kind of campaigning should someone consider or, or really sh- what should be the thought process during the downtime? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So typically what happens when funds are low, um, people are just concerned about sales. Yeah. However, uh, counterintuitively, I guess, um, marketing is usually the first thing to go. Um, it's, it's very counterintuitive because marketing is exactly, I mean, it's purpose, it's sole purpose is to drive sales. Yeah. Um, so when times are tight, um, really the best thing that people can do, um, it's, it's a lot more expensive in terms of both money and resources to go out and find new business. Mm -hmm. So the number one thing to focus on is loyalty and retention of your current customers. Upselling is great, but during tight times, you know, you want to definitely make sure that the people that are partnering with you want to keep partnering with you. Um, the second thing I would say is, um, outsourcing. Um, if you don't have a full marketing department in house, or even if you have one or two, typically it's a lot easier to outsource that work, Mm -hmm. um, to an agency, to a creative agency that can fulfill those things for you. Um, separately from that is really focus on your digital efforts. If you do have a team in house, um, online. I mean, everybody's online. It's really easy to reach your audience there. Yeah. Um, so those are some big key pieces to focus on. And then really more than anything, just make sure that you're spending your efforts on the things that you know are proven to deliver ROI for your organization. Yes. It's not the time to test when ti- or when money's tight. So ROI, yep. that's huge. And, and you mentioned digital marketing as well. Sure. So I'm guessing that's a huge 
factor into ROI potentially on that digital side. Yeah, absolutely. It's measurable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So anything that's print, anything that's, you know, out on a billboard, um, there, there are ways that you can get a, a good sense of, you know, how well they're performing. But if you want true measurement to be able to justify investments, yeah. um, digital is the way to go. Yeah. And so I'm guessing ROI is really also going to be the mindset, right? Absolutely. Throughout downtime. It's all, it's all about your data. Yeah. Um, and we're all about data here at Freightwave, yeah. so yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Your data and your ROI, what are they telling you about what your efforts are doing? Um, that's where your ni- mindset needs to be. Um, focus on the things that you know are driving value for your organization. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, Andrew, enough of this down talk, right? Enough of all <laughs> get this. Get back to the optimism. Here. Let's get back to the optimism. <laughs> all right. So, Marianne, here's the scenario. Okay. I'm expecting, I'm seeing the market turn, okay. right? Yeah. What, what is my shift in times of upturn on, on a kind of campaign uh, mindset? Are you asking what to focus on? Or, yes. Yeah. Well, when, when times are good, that's the yeah. time that you can kind of, it, it's important, first of all, to plan ahead. Yeah. Um, if you have data available, it kind of gives you an idea of where the market's heading read that data, you can kind of see trends that, that point toward an upward, upward slope, hopefully. Um, folk that that's kind of, that will help you to know how to plan out your investments. If you have something that is a little more money or resource intensive, you know, you can start to integrate those things as things start to trend upward. Um, but yeah, well, like I was saying, while yeah. things are down, yeah. focus focus on the, the yeah. less. So. Yeah, maybe. What? No, I was just going to say, you know, the yeah. uh, the old stock market um, saying, it's like, be greedy when others are are, are, are weak or when mm-hmm. others are, are not. You know, do you think that holds for uh, like a marketing um, aspect when, you know, when you can kind of feel something coming uh, on the upside, you know, maybe it's six months or a year out. Do you think that's a time at which, you know, you try to ramp up things while others are still behind the ball? Is that a good, like, time to try to gain some market share? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have the information that's pointing to that, I I would say absolutely. I mean, if nothing else, it's going to give you more of a a competitive advantage um, to be able to kind of read those trends and what's happening. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's really been a huge point from everyone that I've heard so far is really kind of trying to be an expand that market share and really kind of capture more of the market. And as you mentioned, that you really honed in on also – focusing on your your existing clients your yeah. this existing partnerships and so i think that's words of wisdom oh I agree. Well, thanks to take, wow. to take throughout life yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so marianne the other thing is we've we seen you <laughs> andrew you're probably not ready for this but he's not okay. um i've seen you both in the comments and also in person mm. i've let you down a lot yeah um, so Andrew, usually at the end of these with Zach Strickland and myself, I have a hot take. It didn't start out as a hot take. It was just going to be a thing that Zach and I disagreed on. Okay. But it turned into me having a hot take and it being an unpopular opinion. Okay. And I am batting 0% yeah. with Marianne taking my side on any of those things. Anthony, you like to be kind of a contrarian. That that's the thing. You you a look, new perspective. Uh, I don't I know that, that I would <laughs> call you. it that. I, I don't know that I would call it new perspective. Yeah. I think it's. Uh, I just, just a, I don't a, know. a blurry, a blurry one looking in the opposite direction. Exactly. Yeah. Just like you know what this view isn't all that bad. It's just a little blurry, but you know. But I digress. Yeah. All right. The thing, Andrew. Give us the hot take, Marianne. No. And I don't even think this is a hot take, really. All right. It's not. California's overrated. No. 
California is overrated. I'm giving you an outsider's outsider's perspective. I've never been west of Colorado, so whatever I say after you guys give your opinions, Mm -hmm. take it with a grain of salt. Before he even gets started, I'm just going to (laughs) apologize on behalf of Great Waves to anyone from California who may be listening. I spent a great deal of time there myself. Um, Go ahead. Give us... Is that it? Is that... I mean, substantiate this. I I need you to give me something. I think California is a great place to visit, Mm. right? You you go there, you do maybe a week or two, you go Southern California, San Diego, Central, you go to LA, the Bay Area, you you see the sights, you have a good time, and you get out. Yeah, why do you get out, though? Well, you get out because you need to make at least 450000 a year in order (laughs) to just have a studio apartment, and then you're paying $18 at the per gallon at the pump <laughs> to fuel up your Prius. But it's, then you got to get some some breakfast, right? So you pull up to the nearest... <laughs> the taco shop. The taco shop yeah. or... The breakfast tacos. The breakfast I've heard the breakfast tacos in California. They're good. San Diego is just unreal. They're good. Out of control. But you're m- more likely to... Not more likely, but also likely to come across a nice little shop, a one offer... <laughs> And and drop a good thirty four dollars on some avocado toast. That's not true. <laughs> Come on, it's not so bad. No, here's the thing about California. There really is something for everyone. Do you like strawberries? I do. You I, do. I do as well. I do. Tons, tons of strawberries grown in California, Watsonville actually, and other places. But that's a big one. Do you like garlic? No. Yes. Like the gar- thing you eat pizza, like you like garlic. Gilroy, yeah. California is the garlic capital of the world. Do you guys know that? I, I've heard uh, Dean say that before, yeah. yeah. I, I, of course you heard <laughs> Dean say that I, he, every, every little town in America is, is the capital of something. Yeah. He knows them all. Yeah. Here's the thing. Uh-huh. You, you really can have the best of both worlds in California. I could literally wake up mm-hmm. and go to the beach mm-hmm. and say, you know, I don't really want to be at the beach. Yeah. I'd rather go skiing. Mm-hmm. And I can drive to Tahoe and I can do it all on the same day. How, what can you? That's how, a that's a hard argument. What are other places that you can say that? About? Arizona's pretty versatile because mm. you can ski. They're skiing in Arizona. I don't know about that. You can that. ski in Arizona. I don't know about that. And Is then skiing. You know, there's <laughs> like you go up north in Arizona. There's mountains. There's snow. There's Sedona, Flagstaff. You have a good old time, snowboard, all that stuff. Come on down. You can find greenery in Arizona. Hard to believe, but then you also have the desert landscape and get right back to the seventies, eighties, at a fraction of the price. And do you like wine? I don't. I don't drink alcohol. No, no. Oh, well. surprise. No. Yeah, surprise. It's wine country. I mean, and it's not just one. You got Sonoma and Napa and Healdsburg and all of that, but then you've got more like the Central Coast. You got the Paso Robles. Mm. Oh man, just and even down by San here. Diego, Temecula. Basic. Yeah, it's not basic. It's delicious. I don't know. I don't know. I could see you being a little bit of a wine connoisseur, man. You need to. I, I, you, need to dip, I, you need to dip your toe in every once in a while. All right. While. So maybe you'll Disneyland. Okay, okay, Disneyland. Okay. I've had good Here we go. Disney. All right, we're in and on a high note. Back to visiting. <laughs> I can visit. <laughs> okay, so I think the middle ground is I can visit, but maybe I can't live. It's a good place. That's kind of how I am with New York. Yeah. I absolutely love New York. Mm-hmm. I would live in New York, but I wouldn't want to work in New York. I think there's like there's a big difference there, working 80 hours a week, yeah. you know, getting it, getting your teeth kick it, kicked in by the New yeah. York speed. I wouldn't like that. I feel like California would be a similar thing. I've done the both, and I, I loved both for very different reasons. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. taxes, yeah, cost of living, yes, um, that it, it's hard to overcome. It so, is. to your point, for those, you know— Wanting a certain quality of life, right. maybe visiting is the way to go. But oh, I would not traffic. say. But I would not say it's overrated. The traffic, 
Oh, yeah. The infrastructure. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've seen horrific pictures. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the traffic's so bad, it, Elon Musk decided he's going to start building tunnels under. Exactly. <laughs> he, was sick, he was sick of it. <laughs> All right, so I think this is the better arguments than Zach. Well, you know, I think you and Zach agree. You guys agree on a lot of things. We do, unfortunately, but not on food. Not on food. <laughs> not on food. You're not allowed to talk. About no, food I can't talk about food anymore, and I, I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> but Marianne, thank you so much. Andrew Cox, yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you, sir. And thank you all for coming and and viewing uh, this episode of Freightonomics. Um, we're always streaming, and we're out. That was fun, guys. So I'm playing us out. Yeah, I really do. I like your hip hop. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can they hear us? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They can hear us. <laughs> oh, watch what you say. But oh, yeah. This has been fun. This has been yeah, a great so time. I hope Zach appreciates what we've done. He is definitely not hearing Yeah, right I think his <laughs> off. He's on a slope somewhere. Yeah. Beautiful snow. But I had a good time with you guys. It's good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Look at that. Whoever sold that beat royalty free was uh, <laughs> missing out. Full, right? <laughs> oh my goodness! Thank you all. Yeah. You really made the rounds today. I did. Yeah, yeah. I did. It was a it was a revolving door. It yeah, was it was a carousel, and I thank much you all so like much. What the truck? Yes.